Hey, sister, welcome back to the Your Sorority Journey podcast. If you have been tuned in with us for the past couple of weeks, truly on any platform, you know that it has been a priority for us to explore the intersection between racism, privilege, and the sorority experience. Knowing that they are all so closely intertwined, it's been important for us to explore what kind of impacts what's happening in the world is going to have on the sorority membership and what our responsibility is as sorority members sorority members to truly engage in current events in the world right now. In addition to everything that we're experiencing around diversity and inclusion conversations, we are also looking at recruitment from the implications that COVID and this worldwide pandemic is having on it. Taking into account everything that's going on in the world right now, we knew that there was no one better to weigh in on her perspective than mental health expert and professional speaker and just truly rock star sorority woman, Lauren Cook. Lauren is joining us today to talk about her sorority journey and how she was shaped by her early experiences in Chi Omega and how that really set her up for all of the work she does now, both as a therapist and a public speaker. Lauren gives us some really valuable encouragement and advice as it pertains to recruitment this fall and how recruiters can really enter this space of new different recruitment formats with a heart of curiosity and how we can go deeper than some of those typical recruitment conversations to really dig in and be authentic with what our potential new members have experienced just as we have in these past several months. Lauren is such a ray of sunshine and I'm so excited for you to get to learn from and get to know her today. Here is my conversation with Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the Your Sorority Journey podcast. This is so fun to have you on today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to get to be virtually sitting with you, Cassie. I, I miss you. I miss you too. I miss our little date night in San Diego. I wish we could be like having tacos and having this conversation, <laughs> but this will do. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. How are you doing? Like, it's been a pretty crazy past 10 weeks, especially being a public speaker and an on-campus professional like you are. Like, how are you doing? Yeah, you know, it has been such a wild time. Uh, It has been (laughs) quite a few months, isn't it? I mean, it's just wild to see how life can shift so rapidly. Um, and I think, you yeah. know, right, there's a few things that have really come to mind um, through this season and one that's been coming back to my community and my sorority community specifically. I mean, Cassie, it's been so special reconnecting with sisters that I traveled with as national leadership consultants, sisters Aww, from my yeah. local home chapter. Um, we actually started a Bible study. And so having that time and knowing each week we're going to come back to that, I just, I so treasure that and cherish that. Um, and then also, you know, just using this time to really turn inward, to reflect, to think about how I want to grow, but also give myself grace through this season as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, all the work that you have done, like in your profession and your education, just like 
totally shows in the way you speak about this, right? Because I kind of look at this as a gift, but has Mm. kind of struggled to stay positive through all of it. And we've talked about this earlier. Like, I love how transparent you are on social media to share the highs and the lows because I, like you, have really benefited from reconnecting with sisters or just friends with all this downtime that we have. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's like, oh, wait, like this was supposed to happen and it isn't. Like my sororities convention was supposed to be at the end of this week and I was so excited for that and it's disappointing. I know. (laughs) And it's disappointing that that can't be. But to your point, I think it is super cool the opportunity too that's come from this. So it's cool to hear that's been a part of your past couple months. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really reminded and I don't know about you, Cass, but I love to think metaphorically. I bring it into my work with clients as a therapist. I really feel like this season has reminded that life is like an ocean and not a lake. You know what I mean? I think we often want this like still water experience of like, let's just have everything be smooth. And it's like, no, Mm. the reality is life has so many waves and there are going to be highs and lows. And the more we can realize and learn how to surf those waves, I think it, it makes the journey a little bit easier, you know? I love that. Oh my gosh. Life is an ocean, not a lake. I'm might be a quotable from this episode. That's so good. Um, well, Lauren, obviously I know you and I love you, but I want everyone else that's listening to get to know you a little bit more. So can you talk to us about like some of those waves that you've had throughout your sorority journey? I would love it if we could like start back at when you joined Chi Omega through your current role now. Yes. Oh my goodness. What a journey it's been. Uh, Because I was PC09, Gamma Beta chapter, so the Chi Omega chapter at UCLA. And, you know, I was one of those PNMs. Like, I really had no idea what sorority life was. My my grandma was a PiFi at UCLA back in the day. But uh, honestly, I just didn't really have any conception of what it would be except for honestly, like legally blonde. Like that was, I think, <laughs> um, the idea that yeah. I had in mind of what a sorority would be like. And so, you know, I was really pleasantly surprised to see that there was such a community of sisterhood. Um, with my, my family history of, um, you know, some, some pretty severe alcoholism. I was so nervous as a freshman coming to college, you know, people talk about parties and drinking and, and I had thought that's what sororities were a part of. Um, and so I was really nervous about joining a sorority because I wanted to have a community, especially going to a big school like UCLA. And yet I was really afraid at the same time that it was just going to be this big party scene that I didn't feel comfortable being a part of and that didn't really align with my values. And so... Oh my gosh, same. That's so funny. I feel like too. the way I joined was like the exact same way. I mean, I went to Arizona State, so it's got mm-hmm. that similar big school vibe, but it's so interesting to hear you describe it that way. Yeah. And so I was really nervous. And honestly, my whole first year as a freshman in Cayo, I was just kind of like waiting back with bated breath, you know, kind of observing, mm. watching everything and figuring out, you know, what what was my role going to be in the chapter? And then 
I think, you know, moving into the house and really getting to know the women that were not only a part of my pledge class, but the whole chapter, it just totally opened my eyes to the experience of, wow, this really can be a sisterhood. There really is friendship happening here. Um, And I built friendships in that year that have changed my life. You know, two of my roommates were my bridesmaids. And so um, I'm so, so grateful to that. But I always say too, you know, your sorority, the more involved you are with it, it's also going to break your heart at some point. Um, Yeah. And that definitely happened to me. You know, I got really involved in leadership and I really set my my eyes and my hopes on, you know, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to be chapter president? Uh, And honestly, that just wasn't in the cards. And I think, you know, at that point in time, I had felt some rejection. I felt like my sisters didn't believe in me. And so there was definitely a time that I went through um, towards the later experience of my active membership where I just felt a little bit cut off from the experience and didn't quite know what to do with it. But then at the end of the day, I decided, you know what, I don't feel like my sorority journey is over yet. There's more that I can learn from this experience. And so I decided to actually apply to be a national leadership consultant and uh, got the position. And and I know, Cass, you know, you were a leadership consultant too. Incredible experience, life-changing experience. I always say, you know, I grew more in that one year than I did my four years of college. (laughs) I think Uh, same. Yeah. Something about living out of a suitcase really just brings that personal growth out of you. Oh, it's bound to happen. Um, And so that was when I really fell back in love with my sorority and um, really saw the values that, that my sorority stands for. And so, you know, to this day now, it's been 10 years since I joined. Um, now, you know, still super involved as a recruitment advisor on the national recruitment team, helping Chi Omega with mental health programming. And so I know we kind of were just talking about waves, right? There, there are waves in our membership experience, but I think mm. if we can know that we can ride out those waves, we're going to grow more and more in the process of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny to hear you say that you saw yourself being chapter president and that just wasn't an opportunity that presented itself. Mm -hmm. I think for women that listen to the podcast every week, they'll have seen this pattern, this completely unintended pattern of the guests that have been on talking about rejection experiences. And I Mm. have my own rejection story too, but I think it's so funny because sometimes we like romanticize this four year experience. And Mm. I think because maybe we think we pay dues or we like commit all this time and energy that we just like get what we want out of the experience, but we don't always get what we think we want. But when we choose to still commit, we get more than what we thought we wanted. I mean, look at you 10 years later, right? You speak to sorority women and you have such an impact on not only Chi Omegas, but any woman with letters and even before they gain letters and the work you do with NCL. And so I think it's so cool how when you choose to commit to the experience beyond just the experience you thought you wanted, that so much more comes from that. I love that. I think that is such a helpful way of thinking about it. And I think staying open-minded to the process, right? I, I mean, I think sometimes 
um, especially in our culture right now, we get addicted to the happiness or the the Instagrammable, right? Like that sisterhood yeah. video of smiles and, and glitter and rainbows. We kind of think, well, that's what it should be. And when it's not that, what does that mean? You know? Right. But, but I honestly think we grow more through the times when it doesn't go perfectly and it doesn't go smoothly. You know, looking back, I'm yeah, so glad I, I didn't get elected <laughs> president, right? Because yeah. that was when I really, you know, saw my resilience and and – really saw the strength of some of my friendships through that of uh, those sisters that really helped me through that time. So um, those challenges are not always a bad thing as we might initially perceive them. Yeah. And I think it shapes you so much for future rejection or redirection, right? Like in the future outside of the collegiate space, if it's a job or a relationship or a house, you and I have been talking about houses, <laughs> right? Like, yes. I think it gives us so like an open mind is not just good for figuring out which sorority you're meant to be a part of, right? Like mm-hmm. that's such a universal uh, skill, if that is the right word, you know, it just prepares you for so much more in life. And so I love that that's something we're talking about today, because I think it is also super applicable for the times we're in and how things are changing and we're needing to adapt. And when you learn those things in college, it's such like a formative time period of your life. It really just sets you up for so much success in the future. I couldn't agree more. I love that. And I think, you know, rejection is a, is a good thing. Rejection is a sign that we're trying and that we're putting ourselves out there. If we're not getting yeah, rejection... Right, then it means we're honestly probably playing it too safe. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like, I do want to talk, you mentioned a second ago that in your current role, you're a therapist, you just graduated with another degree, which you should talk about your PhD, right? Technically PsyD. So okay, clinical psychology. So I would love to hear you wrote a book in college, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sunny side yeah. up. Sunny side up. I think I would love it if you would tell us more about how the heart, where the heart for that started and like how that's helped you along your career path too. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the Sunny Side Up really came out of reading this book called The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. Um, New York Times bestselling book. It was, you know, such a game changer for me of how I wanted to live my life. And so I reached out to Gretchen and was like, Hey, I would love to write a teen edition of the happiness project with you. And she was like, um, no, thanks. (laughs) Take a walk. (laughs) Um, she actually wrote me back. Uh, and so, you know, from that I thought, well, Hey, what's stopping me from writing my own book? Uh, At the Mm. time, I really wanted there to be a book for the millennial generation to have a pulse on what does happiness mean to us? What does joy look like in our lives? Uh, And what I found from that book and, and the research process is that, you know, I think a lot of times people think that young adults are superficial, that they're materialistic, that they're shallow. And yet from the hundreds of young people that I interviewed, and I think this is true of Generation Z as well, and perhaps even more so, there is such a desire for authenticity, for meaningful relationships. You know, people Mm, never got back to me and said, oh, happiness is, you know, 
a fancy vacation or a new car or a new outfit. Like, no, they told me about the people in their lives that brought them joy, those relationships. And that for me was like, okay, this is what happiness looks like for our generation. And how do we actually cultivate that? And I think sororities speak to that so, so much. It's, it shows how much we are looking for meaningful connections, especially in this digital age that we're in, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's true. I think connectedness for Gen Z, I'm like right on the border, but I think there's elements of me that really connect more with Gen Z. Mm -hmm. And I think connectedness is one of those top priorities, right? Like it, we have to do a lot more, I think from a sorority standpoint too, than just assume that they want what we have. We have to like prove and justify to them that these relationships are as meaningful as they look on Instagram, right? Like they aren't Mm going to take that at face value. And so I think you're right. I think it is so, there are a lot of similarities in that sense between millennials and Gen Z. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, and I love that you bring that up about, you know, we have to make sure we're offering an authentic experience. And I think even more so, we need to collaborate about what that experience should look like. I am all about, you know, really engaging active membership of, hey, let's make this experience what you want. I'm an advisor now. And so it's so important to me that we empower, you know, young women to find their voices to make the chapter their own. Uh, I think that's really, really key. And yes, we have amazing traditions that provide beautiful ritual. And yet also, you know, modernizing and making sure that we are you know, up with the times. And in fact, you know, being a leader of the times as well. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has been unintentionally prompted by Mm -hmm. both the coronavirus pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. I think, well, the pandemic and the movement, but I think that they've both triggered this sense of re-examination for our Mm -hmm. chapters and our national organizations that are requiring us to review and analyze what elements of the membership experience aren't up to date. What have you seen or like, what are your thoughts on just this whole like re-examination maybe, or just like this, like check-in, like touching base with where we're at as organizations? Yeah, no, I, I mean, we might need a longer podcast for for that conversation, but I think something that's been something really cool for me to see is that I see our organizations taking an active stance, whereas before this was maybe something we would have held back on, right, or this is something political, no, like the political is a part of the experience. And so we as sisters are actively taking place in the dialogue. We are learning how to be advocates and activists, right? To make positive Mm -hmm. change. So that for me has been so inspiring to see. As a mental health professional, my hope is that that will really continue to translate into the mental health space as well, where we see our sororities continuing to take an even more active stance into that education for our women. Yeah. But, you know, to me, it's just been really inspiring to see the sorority world joining into the dialogue rather than being an observer of it. Yeah. And, you know, Lauren, I was super excited to have you on this week because I think that your role both as a mental health professional, having been on a college campus for several years now in your um, higher education and 
both as a speaker and a grad student, and then also as a recruitment volunteer for Chi Omega, like you're in this super unique position where you like understand why people might be responding the way they are and how the world is like impacting their mental health and their response to these events, Mm -hmm. but also being able to see like from a sorority standpoint, like these are the opportunities we have to change and evolve to more prioritize the deep needs that our students have. And so without trying to like do too much or (laughs) like (laughs) cover too much ground with you, like I am really excited today to like dig in a little bit more to your perspective on what's happening in our national sorority community, both from a mental health perspective and also from like an opportunity perspective to like offer better opportunities based on these needs that we're seeing and also how to like stay true to the elements of the sorority experience that like should endure and like last the test of time while Mm -hmm. adapting those things that we can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think the key is inclusivity, right? I mean, because even though it hasn't been said explicitly, I think there have been many women, marginalized women, who have observed the sorority experience and felt like, you know what, that's not for me. And that breaks my heart because I know that every human being, when you look at our brains, we all need connection. We all need spaces to feel safe, to feel heard and validated. And you and I know from our own experience that sorority life can be that. But I think we really need to have this intentionality behind diversity, behind inclusion, so that there's no reading between the lines, so that it's explicitly clear that um, our members matter to us and our potential new members matter to us, no matter how they identify. And so I really, really hope that we will continue to see our sororities diversified. I think that's going to take a lot of courage from, from women who have maybe not had positive experiences with um, not only the sorority community, but you know, the, the entire fraternity and sorority community as a whole, um, we're going to have to do some, some really important work to show that we are learning, that we are engaging, um, so that it feels safe to be a part of our organizations. Because I know as a therapist that when we have one-on-one connections with people, that is how our stereotypes get challenged, our perceptions are challenged. When we know someone's story, uh, it shifts how we experience the world. There's a great saying in therapy mm. that if you get to know someone, there is no person that you can't love. And my hope is that our sororities can provide a safe and open landing space for every woman to truly connect and get to know someone that maybe they wouldn't have gotten to know otherwise. Mm. Yeah. And I love what you said about cultivating a safe space for Mm. our sorority women to like experience community and sisterhood, because Mm -hmm. I think I just don't know how we can truly and authentically equip women better for society, right? Which is what our social organizations are striving to do if they Mm -hmm. don't feel safe. Like how can they develop personally or professionally if they don't feel safe? And something uh, Lindsay and I dug into last week is 
how do we attract women who don't look like us or who aren't embodying the stereotypical sorority woman? How do we attract them to our groups and let them know that it's a safe space too, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's like so much that goes into it. And being a recruitment advisor, I'm sure you know like how – I don't know if chaotic is the right word, but there's like this underlying panic that I've heard from sorority women about what on earth recruitment is going to look like this fall. And I mean, NPC is working overtime to really provide these recommendations, like specifically for each campus. But with this virtual element being prominent on most campuses, like what opportunities do you see for are organizations to actually grow in being inclusive and diverse through a new recruitment model? I love that shift in perspective, right? Because I think we do get so attached to, you know, this mentality of like, well, this is how we've always done it, right? And now we're yeah. really having to, <laughs> to pivot. Uh, and so my hope is that it will make recruitment accessible to so many more people, right? I mean, that's daunting for for a lot of women, this idea of going through recruitment, showing up, meeting people that you've never met before, especially, you know, as we look at the research of Generation Z, there's an increase in social anxiety, there's an increase in loneliness. So this ask of, hey, we want you to go through a formal recruitment process where there's going to be potentially, you know, a thousand women going through the process, give or take, that can be really scary. And so this might be a really beautiful opportunity for women to engage in a whole other way um, to be a part of the sorority experience when maybe they wouldn't have been open as open to it before. For all my creative sisters, PR chairs or t-shirt chairs, this is for you. My friends over at Greek Street Collective are hosting a design contest for you to submit your dream sorority shirt. Greek Street was founded by sorority women who wanted to give back to the organizations that shaped their lives. So let's talk about this design contest. All you need to do is submit the short sleeve or tank top design that represents your sorority or national philanthropy. All designs will be available for purchase starting July 1st, and you and your national philanthropy will receive 10% of all sales. The top three selling shirts will be announced on July 15th, and those three winners will win $100, and their national philanthropy will also win $100. Head on over to their website linked in the show notes to submit your design by Sunday. You know, Mm. we were looking at, I believe it was in Minnesota or Michigan, we were talking about, I want to say University of Michigan, and apparently their recruitment enrollment numbers are like through the roof. So my hope is that, you know, especially if our campuses, some of them are virtual this fall, we will be craving those connections even more. And so my hope is that women will want to invest in the sorority experience because, we need to have some form of of sisterhood, of bonding, even if we're not actually physically on campuses this fall. Yeah, absolutely. And I think other conversations that I think have been really exciting that I had really early on during the pandemic, like right after students were pulled from campuses and trying to adjust to this new normal was all the distractions of the fraternity and sorority experience have been stripped away, right? Mm. Like no more t-shirts, no more formals, no more fundraisers even, right? Like all Mm -hmm. these things that we, 
I don't want to say clutter because most of the things in our sorority experience provide value, but they aren't as essential as sisterhood, right? Which is mm-hmm. really all we were left with when everyone went home to either their parents' homes or their apartment to take classes from their room, right? Like everything mm-hmm. shifted in terms of the collegiate exp- the on-campus collegiate experience. And I'm even wondering, like, we haven't burned out our women this spring. You're right. They're probably really craving community and connection in the fall. And I'm really hopeful for what recruitment can do in terms of really opening its doors and opening the arms of our chapters even wider than we may have in the past because we understand the purpose and the intention behind our organizations to a whole nother level, having lived through something unimaginable. Yes, yes. I totally agree with that. I mean, my hope is that it really helps us reconnect with this sense of gratitude. I mean, if you know oh, me, yeah. if, if people have heard any of my <laughs> talks for like five minutes, I, t- I love to talk about gratitude. And I think it's so key, right? Like that this experience gives us an opportunity to realize, oh my gosh, all those nights where we would, you know, watch The Batch and have pizza or whatever, like those were, yeah. that, that was it, right? Like that's where the gratitude lies. And so I don't know about you, Cass, but I feel like this whole experience has made me so much more grateful for the Monday nights, right? The yeah. um, the times when I can just chat with a friend for a few minutes in person, or we can go for a walk together. All those things that were happening in our lives before COVID that were just so easy to take for granted, at least for me personally, it's really made me shift my perspective and my experience of gratitude. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, some people know my like past six month story. Not everyone that listens to the podcast does, but I went through like these series of rapid fire transitions, like right up until like coronavirus hit. And Mm -hmm. so it was actually about mid-March that I was like super eager to like hit my groove and like find a routine and in the middle of a pandemic was like not the intended timeline for me to like launch her sorority journey, but that's like kind of what happened. I love it. I mean, like for someone that was on 60 flights last year to, I mean, my boyfriend and I had a trip planned at the end of March to see my family and go back to Arizona. And obviously that was canceled. And so navigating like a new city with the few friends that I'd made, like not being able to hang out with them and this whole new normal in a new place mm-hmm. was super humbling for me. And when my mom, my mom came to visit at the, as things were opening up just a few weeks ago. I love your mom. She looks amazing, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Isn't She's, she awesome? She looks so fun. I'm like, I want Cassie's mom to come visit and bake cookies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, she was here for my course launch. So she like baked cookies the night before I launched and we went oh. hiking with her and she was like lapping us up this mountain. Preston's like, who is she? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is not my first mountain up with Sandy. So, but anyways, <laughs> like my level of gratitude was just like so much higher. Like I love my mom, but I think moms are often people we can take for granted, right? Mm, because we, yeah. I don't know, like I had her at pretty close proximity while I was in college and I just like have never been so thankful to spend time with my mom than when I 
after I didn't feel isolated in Denver, but I was still like navigating this new normal and my new normal before coronavirus reinvented this new normal, right? Yeah. And so I just like felt so thankful. And so I think to your point, the sense of gratitude, I think a lot of us have experienced getting some elements of our routine back are really meaningful. And I think will perpetuate into recruitment for sure. And I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to see how that flips the script, not only in the P&M's experience, but also the recruiter's experience and like how they experience their chapter and Uh, And their perspective, too, of the process itself. I think we can often just be so negative about recruitment. And Mm. I think the opportunity might be a lot clearer, like being able to see that this process is what gains us like longevity of our chapter and provides us the opportunity to like welcome more women into this connected network of like empathy and Mm -hmm. support through hard times. like. I think women will really resonate with that this year more than ever. I totally agree with you on that. I think we're going to really see the value of friendship. You know, I mean, this has been such an isolating experience. And, you know, I just, I so feel for this year's seniors in high school. You know, this Mm. senior year has not been what they've expected. Um, And now, you know, depending on what happens in the fall, it, it... it's not what we envision, right? And yet being open to this process and being open to learn through it, I think it really does all come down to perspective in terms of how we want to see this this past few months. I will say though, you know, I think it's so important that we allow ourselves to feel our feelings through this. You know, I think a lot of people, I hear my clients say this all the time, like, well, yeah, I'm having a hard time, but like, it could be so much worse. Like, I shouldn't feel this way because other people have it harder. And it's like, okay, well, that might be true. And yet your pain, your sadness is real. And when we push that off or suppress it, you know, that's when we find ourselves kind of engaging in numbing behaviors or avoidant behaviors. We've got to acknowledge emotionally how we're doing through this season and just allow ourselves that space to to feel all the feels. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I listened to a podcast, one of Brene Brown's new podcasts for Unlocking Us. And I think she talks about it as comparative suffering, right? Mm, Like when when you look at our pain, you know the terminology better than I do, but that's just a feeling that I really resonated with. I'm like, oh my gosh, I do this all the time. Like I feel like I'm struggling in this new city and this new series of life events, but it's not as bad as being pulled from campus or not getting to experience like prom or graduation, like all these really important events that come with this time of the year. But to your point, like it's so much more meaningful and we can process our feelings so much better when we acknowledge them and we don't Mm -hmm. just pass them off as not being as bad as someone else's. And I'm so glad you brought up these high school seniors because those are some of the women, right? The majority of the women who will be going through recruitment this fall. Mm -hmm. And for the active current members that listen to this podcast, they are probably looking for advice or encouragement as they are recruiting these women who have really been disappointed 
probably disappointed by the ending of their high school experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of fear and uncertainty that came with this year. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear what your encouragement or advice would be to how to have meaningful conversations about that disappointment that these women have lived through these past couple months. Mm. Well, there's one stance that I really try and take into my clinical work, and I would recommend this to, to all our active members too, is to come at it from a place of curiosity, right? And to not assume how our potential new members or even how fellow sisters may be feeling through this. I mean, this has been such a unique experience for people that I think, you know, some people, yes, may be feeling really disappointed. And I think we're also going to have some freshmen coming through who are just so dang excited. You know what I mean? Uh, and so absolutely. holding that curious stance of, hey, you know, how's summer been for you? And then letting the PNM take it from there. Um, I think it's so important that we kind of use our empathic sensing to really gauge where each and every woman is at, because we're all going to be at different places in the experience of it. And it's going to change by the day, right? I don't know about you, Cass, but some days I'm like, this is great. Like I've got more time in my schedule. I'm not commuting. <laughs> and other days yeah. I'm like, ah, I need another like Ben and Jerry's. Like, you know, it just <laughs> yeah. it changes. And so that may happen with, you know, the PNM experience too, where Round one, she's pumped and excited. Round two, she's feeling really overwhelmed. So again, mm. there's going to be waves through through the recruitment process. And yet, I think having that curious, open stance of, you know, knowing that every woman is going to have a different perspective and a different experience of it, uh, I, I guess is the advice that I would give for, for our active yeah. members that are recruiting. Well, and I think, too, that sense of curiosity is super important because I think the two sides with the IC is like they could have it really could have not hit them that hard. Maybe they had a poor high school experience and were ready for college anyways, or maybe they like really relished their high school experience and are disappointed with what they're missing. And so I think that having recruiters take that sense of curiosity with them into their conversations is so important. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to hear from you too. Like our recruiters are like not mental health professionals and we still want to encourage them to have like vulnerable, hard conversations in recruitment and not stay surface level with your major and <laughs> yes. Netflix, right? Because that is not the kind of year this is. I mean, I, don't, I think we need to outgrow those questions regardless of the circumstances, but mm -hmm. how would you encourage women like to be honest and vulnerable with PNMs this year without taking on a role that they like aren't equipped for? Right. I love that question. I mean, I think it's just so important to be real. Like sometimes I wish people could be inside the therapy room and see what clients share because at the end of the day, we realize that we all have stuff we're struggling we, with, you know, we all have things that we maybe feel embarrassed about or vulnerable about. And I just so wish that we could help each other take the masks off and let our guards yeah. down of really owning like, okay, this is where I'm at. If we could bring that into the recruitment space, oh my gosh, right? Like I think it would just completely shift the experience. Um, so one, I think 
taking the masks off, giving ourselves permission to just be who we are. And here's the thing, because I think so many recruitment um, women going through recruitment are really worried about how people are going to perceive them or judge them. Yeah. If someone's going to judge you, that says more about them than it does about you. You know what I mean? <sighs> mm. So be true to who you are, own who you are, and you're going to find the women that, that connect with you on that from a very authentic space. But if you're so busy putting that mask on and trying to be something for someone else, that authenticity is not going to be there. Um, so I just so invite people to, as much as they can, lean into the vulnerability, even if they feel a little vulnerability hangover after, and know that when you are truthful about who you are and where you're at, you're going to find your people because those mm. people will appreciate that truthfulness and they'll meet you there. Yeah. What I love about that advice is it sounds so similar to what you said to me after my keynote at SDSU in the Aww. fall. I don't know if you remember this. And for people listening, Lauren is actually the only friend of mine that has ever heard me speak on a stage. Everyone else was just like PMs and Panhellenic and recruitment counselors it. and execs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my first keynote ever and you were there. It meant so much to me. But I remember we were driving away and I was like asking your, for your feedback. I was so eager for it. And I could tell that you were like very supportive and very encouraging. You wanted to like make sure that I felt like I did a good job. But mm. after you like got through your long list of like wins for me, you were like, you know, Cass, like if there was one thing I wish I would have seen more of was like, your authentic self. Like, I wish you'd been a little bit more you. We talked mm. about this, like the stories I told and the experiences I shared were super vulnerable, but I'd practiced it like <laughs> probably a hundred times the week before. I was so nervous <laughs> and I wanted to be so scripted. And I hear you say that advice again, right? About hoping that we can just take our masks off and give ourselves permission to be who we truly are. Because mm -hmm. I think PNMs often... I mean, when I was a PNM, I went into recruitment with the same mindset that I got up on that stage at SDSU, right? Like I wanted to be seen well. I didn't want to make mistakes. I wanted my words to really resonate with the woman I was speaking to if it was that one recruiter or 1,500 PNMs at SDSU, right? So mm -hmm. I think that advice is, one, so on brand for you and doesn't surprise me at all, but also like so meaningful and something that when we're able to utilize will show up again and again in our lives when we feel the need to be who others want us to be instead of just ourselves mm -hmm. and like allow that fear of not being accepted or understood to just pass us by because if they don't understand or we are misunderstood that's not our fault mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I think sometimes we carry that like oh I should have said that better or spoken better. I remember you saying to me in the car, like, Cass, you're funny. Like, <laughs> like you should like throw some of that in there, you know? And so mm -hmm. I think when we're able to surround ourselves with people who like love us and see us for who we are, we're more encouraged to be our authentic selves. And that's truly what you want from your sisterhood anyways. So whether you're recruiting or being recruited, being authentic with one another is how you're going to find out if that's your home. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that gets us to a tough place, right? Because 
I think for a lot of women, we just so desperately want to be liked and we want to be liked by as many people as possible, right? I mean, you go on your Instagram, right? Like we live for the likes. And, you know, I think recruitment is such an example of that, of we want every PM to want us, right? Um, and if we're a PM, we want every house to like us. And yet we cannot be everything for everyone, right? If you try and be everything to everyone, mm. then what do you actually stand for? And so, you know, when I went through recruitment, it was honestly from a place of like pure, like gullibleness and naivete. But I remember I went in and I I asked houses day one, Cass. I was like, you know, like, I really don't drink. Like, are there a lot of parties? And I'm I'm not kidding. Like five houses dropped me day one. But you know what? They were not for me. And those houses that really appreciated me being honest about that and sharing my values that turned out to be the fit, right? Like Kai Omega really Mm. celebrated that I had that value and made me feel safe in that. Um, And so I think we really have to get comfortable with the idea that not everybody is going to like us. But at the end of the day, we know that we've respected our values and that we've been truthful in that. Wow, Lauren, that's such great advice. I... I remember when I was a PNM, I went into recruitment super open-mindedly. I did not grow up in the same state. I went to college, so I didn't know a lot about the different chapters. But mm-hmm. and I told myself before I went through recruitment, Cass, like if people drop or if chapters drop you, that just means it wasn't the right fit. Like right. you should just be excited about the people who invite you back. That is where you want to be. Like you don't want to be somewhere you're not wanted. Mm. And I told myself that going into round one and then round two, when I got the top nine back that I had seen myself in, I was like, awesome. Like where I see myself is where people see me. This is great. Mm. And I was able to like still tell myself that truth. But when round three came and I was only invited back to two of those chapters Mm -hmm. of the six that I could have seen, I was like so offended. Like, Mm. why didn't they see me in there? Like. I felt like it was a good fit and it wasn't even like I was in love with any of those chapters that didn't invite me back. I just didn't like the idea of not being liked. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can go into recruitment with this mantra and this mindset of going where it's the best mutual fit, but suddenly it can be so hard to remember that when we get caught up in feeling rejected. Yes. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. And Do we have things to change about our recruitment system? I think so, right? Because as someone who is in the business of feelings, I have seen so many (laughs) women who have had their feelings really hurt by this. And that, you know, breaks my heart. I think there's, we've got to do something about that. And yet, I think women really personalize the experience. And it's like, okay, at the end of the day, you talk to a few people and to let those few people define your value or your worth for membership, we've got to take we've got to take a second look at that, right? And so that's that's something that's really important to me is that women don't personalize their value or their worth um, based on their recruitment experience. But I think that's really hard to do, whether you're 18 or however old you may be, right? Rejection, whatever form it comes in, doesn't feel good. 
And yet, what do we do through that experience to come out stronger on the other side of it? Um, I think it's something we have to take a, a close look at. Right. And I think back to the story you shared when you weren't elected chapter president and you Mm. felt so rejected, but like actively chose to still invest in your journey and that experience and look where you are now. Right. And I think Mm. if there's any encouragement I could give to PNMs listening or recruiters who are speaking to PNMs in recruitment, it's recruitment, the recruitment experience doesn't define you, but the way you respond to it will define your journey for sure. Right. That's quotable Cass. (laughs) I think, but I think that's true, right? Like your response to rejection, your response to not being liked by everyone because you can't be everyone, everything to everyone really defines your, your holistic experience. And I mean, I was just talking to this with a sorority sister who lives in Denver now. We were out for uh, Sunday fun day yesterday. And, oh. oh, it was so fun. But I was talking to her about this and she w- she had shared with me like it was the first time we'd caught up since I launched the podcast. And she said to me that since she's been listening to these episodes, she remembers that her first memory of Sigma Kappa was actually me. It was me on the phone with my mom in the row behind her on the bus to bid day (laughs) and how excited I was. And I had shared with her like, you know, I was so excited, Megan, because the day before I had only been invited back to one of two um, chapters for preference. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I was either going to be a Sigma Kappa or I wasn't going to be in a chapter Mm-hmm. And right before I signed my Maraba, I was like, I am going to be the best dang Sigma Kappa that there has ever been because I have <laughs> to just, like, decide, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go in like half-heartedly because it was all or nothing for me. And so I think that mindset and that perspective that you take in is so important. And I never would have remembered that if Megan, this woman that I was hanging out with yesterday, hadn't shared that with me. So I love I really that. do think isn't that funny? Like it's just crazy how other women who are alongside your journey remind you of where you've been mm-hmm. to really encourage you where you're going. Well, and I love, love, love your openness to the experience, right? Because and I know we mentioned Brene Brown earlier, right? She talks so much about shame. And I think for a lot of people, the shame response can come up during recruitment. And so what do we do when we feel shame? We shut down. And so yeah. the fact that you leaned in and you were like, I'm going to be the best dang Sigma Kappa out there. Like that <laughs> is so inspiring yeah. to me. Like you didn't let the shame win and, and look what you've become. Like, you know what I mean? I just think that's so cool how even with some of the pain of that experience, you still chose to lean in. Um, yeah. So, so inspiring. Oh, thanks, Lauren. Yeah, I think I, th- I really do believe it's all about your mindset. It's about the perspective that you choose. And I, I honestly believe we're in control of that, right? If mm-hmm. we are like really feeling down or really feeling disappointed, like I think we should honor that. I mean, you're the mental health professional, so let me know what you think. But <laughs> I think we need to honor that. But then like, redirect and keep going because just because our like the specifics of our journey change doesn't mean our entire journey has to be defined by that you know yes yes 100 percent. it's one part of the story it's not the whole story 
Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So mm. I want to know, just like as we wrap up here, thinking about like everything that's happened in the past couple months from the ways our world has been changed by the pandemic and I think this wake-up call that a lot of us have gotten through the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. how are you moving forward? I'm just curious to hear like what your next steps are as a volunteer, as a mental health professional, what your next steps are. Yeah. Well, I'm such a big advocate of dialectical thinking, which basically the dialectical stance is all about holding the both and. And really the complexity and the nuances of life. You know, so many of us operate in this all or nothing, either or space, right? Even to what we were just speaking about of like, I'm either going to have a perfect recruitment experience or I don't want to do it at all, right? And yet it's really the both and, um, whether that's, yes, there are tough times with the recruitment and I'm still going to show up. And I really try and do that in my life too. Like, yes, this has been a really tough season, And I'm still going to be present or, you know, this idea of like, yes, I'm going to give my all when I can. And I'm also going to take time for rest. So I've really been trying to do some work lately around boundaries because as an Enneagram three for all of our Enneagram friends out there, uh, I think quarantine and, and the Black Lives Matter movement, you feel like it's never enough, right? Like there's always something I could be doing more of and really trying to give my best. And at the same time, giving myself permission to know that, you know what, it's okay to rest. It's okay to catch my breath. And knowing that if I don't take that time to engage in my well-being, I'm not going to show up from that wholehearted open space. I'm going to show up from a resentful, overworked, burned out space. Um, it's, it's a really interesting to me. I was just posting on Instagram the other day about burnout and asked people, do you feel burned out? 25 people took the survey. Only one person said they did not feel burned out. And so that says to me, like we're tapped out. And I think sometimes we can operate in extremes. And so giving ourselves space to lean into this dialectic, right. Of like, Yes, like learn about the Black Lives Matter movement, like learn about your privilege, learn about how you can be an advocate. And also think about how you cannot guilt yourself so much that you don't give yourself time for the rest because it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so giving ourselves that permission to breathe, um, I think is something that I'm personally trying to really work on. And I, I hope it's something that we can bring to our chapters too, because we've got a long, long road ahead. We do. Yeah. And I think the conversation that you had on Instagram the other day about burnout was so important because um, the week that people chose to be muted a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. was when I was starting to feel like the weight and the pressure of like, what do I do? How do how do I be enough right now, especially for the sorority women of color, the black sisters that follow her sorority journey? How and mm-hmm. my friends, right? Like, how do I be enough for them and really like be an ally and support them mm-hmm. while sustaining energy and endurance to have the long term conversation that's going to result in effective change, right? Because burning out now is not going to change. It's not going to result in 
effective change, right? And so I think to your point about allowing ourselves the space to breathe is so important and so necessary so that we can better serve and love on others. Like I always love the phrase, like you just can't pour from an empty cup. Like yes, yes, we need to like provide ourselves space to refuel or either from others or individually. I think a lot of that comes down to being an introvert or an extrovert Mm -hmm. um, so that you can better serve and love on those in your community who are affected by what's happening. Mm -hmm. hundred percent. I love that. You can't pour from an empty cup. Uh, It's true. So we've got to, we've got to give ourselves grace and space during this season and yet still show up and lean in, you know, as we can. And, you know, I think there are a lot of conversations that are happening right now that are uncomfortable. They're supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, acknowledging ourselves of like, okay, like I'm showing up. That's not easy. I'm a huge advocate of mindful self-compassion. All of Kristen Neff's work, oh, her stuff is amazing. And so having that mindful self-compassion for ourselves through this season we need it more than ever, um, or we can really yeah. start to be unkind to ourselves and really beat ourselves up. And as we're talking about shame, that doesn't help us lean in. It makes us want to avoid. So really giving ourselves that permission to be kind to the self and kind to others, I think is really key right now. Yeah, I love, love that advice. Is there anything else you'd want to end on for encouragement or insight for women listening to this who are really navigating how they move forward, either in being a sorority woman, an active member in the fall, or so- supporting sorority communities in the fall? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. I, I mean, I've loved our conversation today. We've hit on so many important topics. I'd say the biggest thing is just to show up, to not be silent. I think so much gets misinterpreted or um, wrongly perceived in the silence. And so making sure our sisters know, Hey, I'm here for you. Hey, I care about you. You matter to me. Knowing that there's room for forgiveness as we learn through this, as we talked about earlier, we've got to have some safety, right? Because if we don't feel safe, we pull back and then we don't get those opportunities to learn. And so really finding those opportunities to just come back to our sisterhood to sit with each other, to break bread together, so to speak, um, and welcome our differences rather than fear them. So Mm. those are just some of my, my thoughts and conclusion. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really excited about what the future holds, you know, from working with a lot of my clients of color, particularly my clients that identify as black. I don't want to speak on their behalf. But I will say there has been a theme from what they've expressed to me of hopefulness. You know, they've expressed that I am really feeling hopeful. Um, They are seeing and hearing from people who haven't been a part of the conversation before, particularly white folks. And so seeing that people are showing up and engaging in this conversation on a national level I think there is a theme of hope. And so that's what I'm holding on to right now is, as it's been a, a tough time. Um, and I'm hopeful for how that's going to look specifically in our sororities too. Yeah. 
Oh, Lauren, you are such a gem. I just Aww. like, I know we covered a lot. Just like you said, we have hit on so many important topics today. And I have really been looking forward to recording with you because I, one, I love you. And it's been like Aww, so great ditto. to reconnect <laughs> recently. And your perspective is just so valuable into touching on so much of what I think our world is experiencing right now, but specifically through the lens of what our sorority women are experiencing and navigating right now. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and um, really just support collegians right now. It just means a lot that I got to have you on and share this space oh. with you. Well, it means so much to me. I am so glad we got to talk. This has been food for my soul. I love our conversations, Cassie. And uh, I just invite, you know, any woman hearing this, if it struck a chord with you today, I'd love to connect with you. I hope that you can tell I'm very transparent and open and honest and she I'm is. all about yeah. <laughs> supporting women. So um, I'm currently at the Sunny Girl 5 on Instagram, but soon to be Dr. Lauren Cook at the end of July. Um, yeah, uh, I know. I'm excited. So um, seriously, if there's anything I can do to help your listeners, I am just an Instagram message or an email away. Yeah. And we'll tag Lauren in our Instagram and Facebook promotion for the episode. And we'll also link where you can find her book in the show notes. So she will not be far from you. Lauren, thanks again for coming on. This was so fun. Thanks so much, Cass. Great to be with you. Recording with Lauren was such a breath of fresh air. Not only is she an old friend, but she is so wise in her encouragement and advice for how to navigate this season with others who are experiencing it differently than we are. Vulnerability is so important to having authentic, intentional conversations, and I hope hearing from her helped you see why. Lauren said early on in the episode that life is like an ocean, not a lake. I want you to think about what it's been like to navigate these different waves and maybe help you see how there have been waves in your sorority journey all along. These ones that have come over the past couple months might have just felt a little bit bigger and taken a little bit better and more intentional navigating than some of the others. But just like how we've experienced waves throughout our entire sorority journey, our entire lives, there will be more that come in the future. I would love it if we could shift our perspective from what we've lost to actually looking at them as opportunities and seeing the good and the hope and the growth that can come from this season. So if you leave this episode with one encouragement or takeaway, I hope it's that you feel challenged to show up in your sorority. Maybe that's showing up by being present for a sister over the summer or showing up by doing everything you can to align yourself with your personal values and the values of your organization and the purpose of your sisterhood when you come back for recruitment. By showing up as you are and allowing potential new members to be their authentic selves in recruitment, you are going to attract and bring into your chapter women who are desperate for that same sense of sisterhood that has supported you through this unprecedented time. As always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for showing up, even if it's just on this podcast, and know that you are not alone as you navigate this unique season of your sorority journey.
If this episode resonated with you in any way, if you found yourself nodding along or saying yes in agreement with what was talked about, we would love to hear from you. There are three ways that we would love to know how this how this podcast is impacting you and how we can better support you. The first is by leaving a review. When you go to the Your Sorority Journey podcast on Apple Podcasts and scroll down past all the episodes, please leave us a review so that we can know how this podcast and the content is impacting your sorority journey. We would also love it if you would tell your friends so they can get tuned into these conversations. And finally, shoot us a DM. If you have questions, if you would like to hear something, or if you just want to tell us what you think, feel free to shoot us a DM at Her Sorority Journey so we can know how we can best support you on your sorority journey.